A warm welcome to this new edition of El Novi Podcast. I'm Henri Wagner, a partner at El Novi Luxembourg and head of the banking and regulatory practice. Today's podcast purports to provide guidance to professionals that are subject to the anti-money laundering and counter-terrorism financing legislation and to the supervision of the regulator in Luxembourg generally and in the context of the COVID-19 pandemic specifically. To start with a couple of thoughts from my side in these uh, challenging times. The first comment I wanted to make is that probably as you will know, the visit of the Financial Action Task Force to Luxembourg has been postponed from this fall to either spring or fall 2021. This means that Luxembourg has some more time to get prepared to that very important visit. Having said that, the Luxembourg regulator remains highly committed to safeguarding the integrity of the financial sector and has reiterated on a number of occasions that the fight against financial crime remains a top priority. A second comment relates to the fact that the economies and the financial centers experience a downturn financial flows are likely to diminish. Paradoxically, though, experience from previous crises suggests that illicit financial flows will potentially increase and that criminals and terrorists will aim at exploiting possible temporary weaknesses in AML controls. That is the reason why the CSSF reminded the supervised entities of the cardinal importance to continue to maintain efficient systems and controls to ensure that the Luxembourg Financial Center is not abused for money laundering purposes. So in a sense, what, what is the cornerstone of the issue here? It is simply the threats in terms of AML against the backdrop of the COVID-19 crisis. And the fact that criminals are using the breakout to find new ways to generate illicit funds through cybercrime and fraud. In particular, the imposition of social distancing rules has increased the demand for information and supplies through online platforms, thereby mechanically increasing cybersecurity-related risk for users. For financial institutions like you, the operational risks stemming from cybercrimes are real, and have been exacerbated by the confinement, the changes to the way you operate remotely and the consequences of social distancing. So what, what is the, the, so the answer to these uh, issues and how can we address the new and increased risk and adapt to the changing challenges of AML threats? One of the answers which has been given by the Luxembourg regulator is to ask supervised professionals to particularly focus on five key themes, which I will simply list because they will be developed in our today's podcast. The first sort of theme relates to the AML business continuity. The second concerns transaction monitoring. The third relates to customer due diligence, which will be the topic of our first podcast. And then there will be an important part relating to risk assessment. And finally, the 
theme of cooperation with authorities. As I said, customer diligence will be at the heart of our first podcast. And in that space, the CSF encourages professionals to consider how CDD measures can be strengthened to mitigate the impact of a lack of face-to-face contacts with customers, which is particularly relevant in COVID-19 pandemic uh, crisis. And any enhanced measures should be performed in line with a risk-based approach and take into account the specific threats which are relating to this now new environment. Such enhanced measures could, for instance, include the performance of more frequent checks against list of political exposed persons or more detailed checks under intensified due diligence process performed remotely, like an adverse media screening. What is interesting to note is that the CSF recently took on board the FTF recommendations to use financial technology to manage some of the CDD issues created by the COVID-19 pandemic. In that spirit, it was held uh, that the use of digital and contactless payments and digital onboarding could reduce the risk of attacks on the financial system. This will be also the theme of another uh, podcast, which will uh, dwell on, on fintechs and the use of fintechs in relation to AML. In the same vein, the use of modern IT and artificial intelligence technology may enhance the benefit of trustworthy digital identity, thereby improving the security, privacy, and convenience of identifying people remotely, both for onboarding and conducting uh, transactions. To talk in more detail about these fascinating questions, we have put together a panel of experts whose enlightening discussions will help you navigating the meanders of the Luxembourg AML legal framework. To that end, as I said, we have selected three themes which we'll be discussing in the podcast. The first podcast will relate to the question of updating your customer due diligence process. The second topic will relate to extraterritorial effects of the AML legislation. And the third theme will focus on fintech, which I just alluded to. And to just discuss these themes, uh, I will be joined by Elnovri experts in this field. First, Carol Schmidt, she's a counsel in our regulatory practice. Thomas Berger, counsel in the litigation and regulatory practice and heading the litigation practice. And finally, Baptiste Aubry, a senior associate in the regulatory practice, will be discussing these themes. Uh, I hope you're enjoying it and you will have an interesting session. Thank you. Thank you, Henri, for this introduction. So, as you mentioned, the first topic is about CDD processes and the recent changes that have been introduced uh, with the amendments into the Luxembourg ML Act. Before we dig into the core of our topic of today, just maybe two comments for those listening to us. The first thing you need to bear in mind is that when implementing the fifth anti-money laundering directive, Luxembourg did not merely stick to the rules set in the directive. They also decided to implement certain higher standards which are recommended by the Financial Action Task Force in its FATF recommendation. And also bear in mind that 
when we talk about updates to the CDD processes, they do not only derive from the IML Act, but they also derive from CSSF circulars, which have been adopted in a more global context. So Henri mentioned the circular, which has been adopted in April earlier this year in the context of the COVID-19 pandemic. But we can think as well of the CSSF circular 19732 adopted at the end of last year to provide guidance on the identification and verification of identity for beneficial owners. So having said this, let's now analyze some of the key changes which have been introduced in the Luxembourg IML CTF framework in the last uh, couple of months. Turning to, to Termano, we all know that in the past years, particular focus has been put on the so-called risk-based approach, both for the global risk assessment that professionals need to perform over their activities, but also at a more granular level when it comes to deciding which level of due diligence will be applied to a specific client. It is really a key concept that underpins all the requirements in the IML-CTF policies and procedures. So can you guide us through the adjustments that have been made in that regard recently to, in the context of the implementation of the fifth anti-money laundering directive? As you rightly pointed out, Carol, the risk-based approach is a key concept in shaping EML-CTF procedures. The changes which have been introduced in the ML Act 2004 in line with EMLD 5, and it is a good news, are only adjustments or clarifications rather than substantial changes. First of all, there are a series of adjustments to the global risk assessment. First adjustment, the obligation for a professional to identify and assess the risks to which it is exposed is now supplemented by a separate obligation to understand those risks. Second adjustment, clarification has been given on how a professional should carry out this risk assessment in Article 2.2, Paragraph 2 of the ML Act 2004. A professional must take into account all relevant risk factors to determine its global risk level but also, and it is new, the level and type of appropriate measures to manage and mitigate those risks. In that respect, since the amended text of the EML Act 2004 remain quite generic, professionals may therefore wish to refer to additional available international guidance on this topic when performing their risk assessments, such as guidance from the FATF or from the EBA. In consideration of the new text, professionals will also have to take into account publications such as the Luxembourg National Risk Assessments of Money Laundering and Terrorism Financing or the MLTF Subsector Risk Assessment Private Banking, which has been published by the CSSF in December 2019. As an aparté, it is also noticeable that beyond the implementation of EMLD5, specific guidance has also been issued on risk assessment in the context of the COVID-19 crisis in a CSSF circular letter of 10 April 2020. It's circular number 2740. In this circular letter, the CSSF provides guidance to professionals in relation to money laundering and terrorism financing and implications in line with the EBS statements on actions to mitigate financial crime risks in the COVID-19 pandemic. Those specific risks also need to be taken into account. Okay, that's, that's understood. Do you have any specific or practical recommendation for those listening to us uh, in respect of what you have just mentioned? In practice, 
I would recommend that each professional review its own global risk assessment to cover the legal changes introduced in the ML Act 2004 in terms of risks to be taken into account, but also the specific and practical risks triggered by the current pandemic situation. Okay, that's noted. We mentioned two types of risk-based approach processes at the global level, but can you also tell us more about the risk-based approach and its application at, on a client-per-client basis? So, yes, indeed, Carol. There is a second set of slight adjustments which relate to a series of clarifications on the risk-based approach at the level of each client relationship. This was already implied in the previous version of the ML Act 2004, but the text has been slightly adjusted to make it clear that the extent of the measures to be taken for each client shall take into account several points. First, the risks pertaining to each type of client, the risks related to the countries and geographic areas, as well as the risks based on the nature of the products or services and the risks related to the specific distribution channels that are used. The professional must then apply risks variables to these categories, such as the variables that were defined in Annex 2 of the AML Act 2004. Those variables, taken individually or in combination, may increase or decrease potential risks for a specific client and may therefore have an impact on the appropriate level of due diligence to be implemented by the professional for that specific client. Interestingly, the CSSF MLTF subsector risk assessment on private banking, among others, include high-level descriptions of certain methods to mitigate these MLTF inherent risks to private banking activities. And it may therefore constitute a useful guidance to comply with the adjusted legal requirements. The EBA risk factor guidelines should obviously also be taken into consideration. Again, in practice, we would recommend that each professional review its EML CTF policy to ensure that all relevant risk variable and risk categories are properly reflected. Okay, so we talk here about just clarification, so that's quite good news. Uh, it seems that only a limited homework will be triggered for the professional to comply with this clarification. I guess the situation might be different in terms of CDD requirements. When we come to the details of the CDD requirements, we already had until now quite detailed rules in the IML Act 2004 or in the Grand Ducal Regulation of 1st February 2010, as well as in the CSSF Regulation 12. Zero two, but my understanding is that now these requirements are strengthened. So, could you walk us through the new expectations in that regard? Indeed, Carol. In that respect, I believe that the changes introduced in the ML Act 2004 are likely to have a more concrete and important impact on professionals. But first of all, and, and important to note, some of the new rules which have been introduced in the ML Act 2004 already pre-existed in the Grand Ducal Regulation 2010 and the CSSF Regulation 1202. They now have been legalized, so to say, by being introduced in the ML Act 2004. But this is not all. Additional guidance has also been provided in terms of client and bio identification. This means that professionals will also have to review their EML CTF policies and procedures in order to ensure that they are up to date in light of this revised EML CTF legal framework. 
Just one additional point. By the way, it is important to note that as of today, the Grand Ducal Regulation 2010 and the CSSF Regulation Tribes do have not yet been amended. So what are the adjustments and clarifications to the rules on client identification? First, client identification and verification of identity must be made on the basis of reliable and independent sources, plural. This tends to imply that verification based on a single source would no longer be sufficient. Second, professional can rely on electronic verification and trust services for electronic transaction within the meaning of regulation 910-2014. Third, clarifications on the process that professionals should follow to identify legal entities or other legal arrangements is now provided. Fourth, the ML Act 2004 clarifies the concept of control by other means in the definitions. An additional element again, professionals now have an obligation not only to obtain information on the purpose and nature of the business relationship with the client, but also to understand them. And last, EML Act 2004 provides for an obligation in respect of any type of client to verify that any person purporting to act in the name of and on behalf of client is authorized to do so and to identify and verify the identity of that person. What are the adjustments and guidance regarding the beneficial owner identification now? The IML Act 2004 introduced a new obligation to verify the identity of a beneficial owner and to take reasonable steps to verify the identity of that beneficial owner based on information or relevant data from a reliable and independent source. The ML Act 2004 also clarifies the process that professionals should follow to identify their beneficial owners of a legal entity and of other legal arrangements. It also provides for a new obligation to keep records of all measures taken, as well as all difficulties encountered during the verification process of the identity of the beneficial owners of a legal entity. Whenever the legal entity or other legal arrangement is subject to an obligation to register information on its beneficial owners pursuant to articles 30 or 31 of EMLD4, professionals will also have to obtain evidence of such registration or an extract of the register at the start of the business relationship. Also, as a reminder, they cannot exclusively rely on such registration to identify a beneficial owner. Second reminder, it's important to note that under the uh, um, RBA Act, so the, the Act on, on the Register Beneficial Owner, Professional must report any discrepancies they find between the beneficial ownership information available in the Luxembourg Register and the beneficial ownership information available to them. Thanks very much. I guess the, the recommendation would here again to, to pay attention to your IMLCTF policies and procedures, but is there any other point of attention for, for the professionals? A close review should indeed be carried to ensure that the additional clarifications that we discussed are duly taken into account, 
but no no really other points to 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 take uh, into account thank you for this uh, effectively the guidance that has been provided in in the revised version of the ml act is is quite uh, important I have also noted certain new elements about the timing for the CDD measures, as well as in terms of obligation to update the data you have in your files as part of your ongoing CDD obligation. Could you please share a few words on these elements? Certainly. As far as timing and possible deferral of the CDD process is concerned, we know that in certain circumstances, the verification of the identity of the client and the beneficial owners may take place while establishing the business relationship instead of before establishing such business relationship. The EML Act 2004 provides for an additional obligation that is that a professional must take effective measures to ensure that the EML CTF risks is managed. This is a bit stating of the obvious, though, but it is, is the new requirement in the EML Act 2004. Furthermore, a new provision has been introduced pursuant to which professionals may decide not to perform the due diligence process, but instead file simply a suspicious activity report with the Financial Intelligence Unit, the CRF in, in French, in cases where they have suspicion that a transaction is related to money laundering or terrorism or terrorist financing, and when they can reasonably believe that performing their due diligence obligation would alert the client. As far as updating the CDD data, as you know, Professionals must apply due diligence measures at appropriate times to existing customers on a risk-sensitive basis by taking into account past due diligence measures and changes in relevant aspects of the client situation. But the ML Act 2004 has been amended to provide that this obligation will also apply when, during the course of the relevant calendar here, the professionals have to contact the client to reassess any relevant information on the beneficial owners based on a legal obligation, such as it's also specifically provided in AML Act 2004, when, for example, assessing or complying with its obligation under the CRS law. Thank you for this. Okay, so all in all, there are quite a number of changes that professionals need to take into consideration. And we have just touched on the standard CDD processes. I know that there are adjustments as well in terms of simplified due diligence and enhanced due diligence rules, but conscious of time, I propose that we dig into this specific aspect in the context of our next podcast. So thank you to all of you for listening and stay tuned. Mm-hmm.